This is a post-Christian podcast. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Revolution Online, as always. 15 years and running. Um, <laughs> so, good morning. Um, we've got a... Uh, we're all still stuck in the house, and... Still doing church online. Hopefully that's good. Um, oh, hope everybody's doing well. I'm trying to think what's going on. Do my 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 dialogue. My Your opening monologue. Monologue. Um, yeah, lots of time at home. Doing lots of podcasts. And uh, what else? <sighs> trying to read. Listen to some good music. Not much more going on, folks. Sorry, I wish I had some exciting news. I'm trying to think if I've watched anything on Netflix or I watched I, I watched a documentary that I'm it's in the process of watching right now, and it's about missing about these kids who went missing in the early '80s in Atlanta, uh, about uh, African American kids, black kids who who went missing um, in Atlanta in the early '80s and. It's a pretty amazing documentary. I think people should check it out. This morning I watched a little bit of a – what is her name? Lisa Lisa Lee? Lisa Lang? What is her name? She's a reporter. Um, anyway, I watched something on her about folks who are really struggling right now with work and, and uh, going through a really rough time <sighs> making ends meet. And it is really just – really tough out there especially on middle america you know watching these folks who really felt like they had their lives together and jobs together and are now really struggling to make ends meet and having to go on public assistance um folks who probably in the past would have been like oh that's not for me or you know only lazy people do that you know and now realizing the realities of like of what we need in this country and the help we need and i think we're all realizing is that you know all of us were kind of living paycheck to paycheck. Some of us really good, but, you know, there's that time of a lot of us live in the moment. And, uh, yeah, it's tough. It's really tough to make it and stay afloat. And I think the reality of how much we need each other and depend on each other is uh, really hitting us. Um, I feel confused by politics. I feel confused by the news. Uh, honestly, not a whole lot of comfort. I think I don't know if any of you've gotten to the point where you kind of wake up sometimes and you just feel like lost. Um, I don't have the kids this weekend, so it was one of those things where I just kind of woke up this morning, had a cup of coffee, and it's nice outside, so I sat outside for a few minutes and just kind of felt felt the 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 loss of everything that everyone's going through all at once. You know, I just kind of felt like I was able to empathize with what we're all going through together. So yeah, man, tough times. Um, such tough times that I'm going to be talking today from a Peter Rollins book. That's how tough times I've got. <laughs> um, usually I would, I would try to just steal from Pete and, and, and just pretend like I thought of it. Um, but 
Desperate times, folks. Desperate times. Um, so yeah, I'm here with Caleb. Caleb is 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 in the bed Hello. behind me. Um, he says hello. I'm sure you heard him. Um, so yeah, we're gonna do a little bit of a little bit of talk about resurrection, and I, I think this is probably actually it's from Pete's book Insurrection, and I think it's probably one of his more popular talks from his work and uh he's got some amazing work out there you know i can't can't argue with that guys guys a good thinker and you know i'm going to take from wherever i can to help us all continue to think as we go through this um together (sighs) just tired um you know uh, yeah, I've been debating. Like, I, one of the things I've been thinking about, uh, and I've debated if I would even bring this up or not with revolution, but I'm pretty transparent with you guys. Um, so I'll share this for a second. And, you know, me and my dad have a lot of differences. And uh, recently he's kind of come under attack because of something he said on his show. And people thought he he sells a stuff called Silver Solution, which is some sort of like dietary supplement. I'm not even really sure what it is. Um, but um, he had a guest on and he asked the guest if it could help with the coronavirus. And she said, well, it hasn't been tested and blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, people – the media got a hold of this and especially left-wing media um, – progressive media folks got a hold of this and started saying Jim Baker claims to have the cure and um, government came after him and and uh, a lot of uh, progressive uh, media uh, online media came after him pretty hard and uh, someone had sent me a a text or something where it said Jim Baker was arrested and so I freaked out and called my dad and he wasn't arrested but he told me that you know he um some of the stations that he's on have uh, stopped airing his shows and that, you know, fin- their finance had been frozen and things like that. And I looked at the, you know, and he, and he said because of this, this, this tape where they said he'd made this claim. So I watched it and I, I realized that he didn't make the claim. Um, so I did call one of the groups who came after him pretty hard and, you know, and they said, well, he may have not made the claim, but it was on his show and, you know, people aren't thinking and it was assumed and, you know, a lot of stuff like that. And, and, and here's the thing is growing up the way I did seeing my family scapegoated most of my life, um, was pretty tough. And I think my dad has some theology that definitely has theology that I don't agree with definitely has politics I don't agree with. And I feel like there are probably a lot of really good arguments that could be made for some of the things he does against some of the things he says and does. Um, and we've had some of those conversations cause we talk, people ask why I don't denounce my dad online and, and say all this stuff. And I, I, you know, I, I get that a lot and, and, you know, I'll just say it here to some of you folks is, uh, because we're able to have conversations um, because we're able to talk about it 
And for me to say something publicly would just shut us, shut the conversation down. And I believe that that is a form of violence. Um, when we shut conversations down, that can be healthy and can lead to change. And so, you know, I'm not going to do that. Um, plus, he's a good grandfather to my kids. But it's just tough um, because I, so many years of my life, felt that the progressive media um, – our progressives were safe and now seeing some of them just react and not really care about the facts or just saying, well, there's a gray area. So we're going to err on the side of that. He's crazy. But I, you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact of who he is, what his history is, what his politics are. And it's just sad for me to see that uh, we as left on the left uh, skate goat folks like that. And it makes you more hyper aware of seeing, seeing that in other people's stuff when you watch that. And then you start to think about like freedom of speech and the fact that some people's theology has not evolved and, and maybe it is evolving, maybe it's not evolving, but how can we help it evolve? And, um, you know, do we allow people to, you know, have disagreements, say things we disagree with, um, at the same time trying to communicate with them, but without making them uh, evil? Because we all need to have the empathy of being able to look back on our own lives and see where we were before we evolved, where we were before we became inclusive, where we were before we maybe uh, – had the theology that we've arrived at. Um, but do we make time for that in other people's lives? And when we are criticizing others, are we doing it constructively or are we doing it to sh- destroy them? And to be honest with you, um, we are not, you know, if we're called to love our enemies, then I think destroying them is not part of that. Martin Luther King Jr. talks about, you know, there'll come a time where you might be able to destroy your enemy. And put them, uh, you know, under your feet. And he says, resist that. Resist that at all costs. Do not destroy your enemies. Love your enemies. Um, restore your enemies. Um, have com- Communicate with them. And so, you know, I think a good place for me to start is with people like my dad. Um, also, I, I think, you know, if it was the other – if the shoe was on the other foot with people – you know, if this was the conservative media going after somebody like someone we we hold high in high esteem, you know, we might say like, oh, you know, you're twisting the facts or doing that, you know. And even when I defended my father, because the other day I was like, screw it. And I was on Twitter and I just said something to the right wing watch people who've been posting it. I just said something to them. I said, hey, this, you know, they're like, look, and here he said exactly that. And I'm like, he didn't say exactly that. And of course, I didn't get I got two things that you know and one was like oh well at least you know your dad's a con man and blah blah blah. and another thing was like well he's obviously selling this stuff and promoting this stuff and i'm like well he's been selling it for years you know they're like oh really why you know and it's just funny when the facts come out you know but of course i know that if i go online and go on this like mission to defend my father i'm just going to get a lot of really angry mean people and people who probably i agree with on a lot of things um but I, I just think we've got to get away from lazy thinking. Um, one of the things we do here at Revolution is we want to cause you to think. 
um, think critically, but also think about, you know, not simply of going like everything is not simple. No one is all good. No one is all bad. And, uh, having empathy and love for your enemies because grace is grace covers everybody folks. And that's the hard thing about grace. That's why I say grace is like anarchy. That's why, um, I, I said the other day on Twitter is grace. The more grace evolves, it should trouble you. You should be troubled by grace because it's kind of like freedom of speech. It covers things that you don't want to hear. It covers people you don't want to hear. It covers people you don't agree with. Um, but it also gives us the strength and the ability to go in and make change where change needs to be due without writing people off and uh, shaming them or going after them to destroy them. And uh, it's just strange that for me to continue to watch Christians, it was it's funny because in the 80s, it was more conservative Christians who came after my family. And now, you know, watching other Christians who are progressive Christians, you know, really affecting my father's ministry. And there's so many things that they could disagree with them, especially theologically. But instead, they focus on one thing that's kind of fuzzy. It's kind of a gray thing. Um, and so that's where I'm at right now with that. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Uh, especially having so much time at home. Um, I don't know. So I guess this was my, my, my confessional to you guys is that that's, you know, something I've been thinking about and, uh, love your input. Um, you can watch that video. I'm sure you should go to that right wing watch Twitter and you can, I think they have the video up there. (laughs) You can make up your own mind what my dad said or didn't say. Um, or there's also another group called faithful Americans and they, um, also have done something, but you know, I've talked with some of their leadership and so, you know, I think we came to an okay understanding, but still not had to kind of agree to disagree. Um, but that's what I try to do is I try to reach out to folks and talk to them first before I say all this stuff. It's tough. Gosh, it's tough, but I hope my, expressing this and being transparent with you guys will encourage you to look at those tough things and, and, uh, find productive ways to disagree well and, uh, realize that we can't just destroy everybody. You know, half the world is, has different politics than us. Half the country has different politics. The world has different politics than us. My politics are probably different than 90% of the folks that I know right now. And, uh, you know, learning to find out what's useful and what's not, what's helpful and what's not. And um, I don't know. I don't want to destroy people. You know, I want to change their hearts and their minds. And, I, and, and, and Martin Luther King and nonviolence has played a big part of my, in that, you know, going and meeting with ministers who I disagreed with and meeting with them. And then if they didn't meet, then maybe calling attention to the injustice, but first saying, Hey, can we talk about this? Finding out if there's another, a, a, a productive way to do it. If we can put in the hard work, then let's do it before we go and start destroying someone or going to someone first, which is biblical is that you go to someone first and say, Hey, have you thought about this before you go, Hey, I'm going to destroy you (laughs) or I'm going to expose you. Um, That's one of the things I, I kind of draws me back into Christianity a little bit. So, uh, you know, anyway, Get off the soapbox. Let's talk about resurrection. Now, here's the strange thing is that last week we had Easter, and I don't think I talked about resurrection. 
No. <laughs> I have one audience, live audience member back here. I think um, you intentionally didn't talk about it. You think I intentionally didn't well, talk you, about you resurrection? Did, did, we're talking about Mark uh, cutting off, you know, before the resurrection part. They just see the angel. I don't see Jesus. We just saw the angel. I didn't see Jesus. Yeah. I okay. I did intentionally not talk about <laughs> resurrection because resurrection sometimes troubles me. Um, you know, it's Jesus died on the cross, and then he rises from the dead, and he's walking around and he's talking to people and doing all this stuff. And I've honestly, I'm just going to be transparent again. This is confession hour. This is the confession sermon. Um, I've had a hard time finding meaning in it, and I see people find meaning in it, and I've heard sermons on, oh, it's a new day, and we're going to resurrect. And like, I was talking to people about Easter, and they're like, Sunday's, you know, they were talking to me before Easter sermon, and people were like saying to me, like, Sunday's coming, Jay, you know, that's from an old sermon. Um, I think uh, that was uh, Tony Campolo had this, Sunday's coming, you know, and... um, and and like I said before, we're all in Saturday mode, you know, we're all in like, Jesus is gone kind of mode. Um, but I was just like, you know, even before we were in this trouble and going through this stuff, resurrection was always just something that I was like, it's, uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I've even heard, you know, Pete speak at revolution about resurrection and stuff. And, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't connect with it as much, but I'm reading, I've been reading insurrection for like three months now. Um, cause I read a bunch of books at once, but, uh, I decided this week just to kind of sit down and I got this other book about Hegel and it's really hard to read. So I was like, Oh, I'm just going to read Pete's book because it's a little bit easier than Hegel. And, um, it's talked about resurrection and he doesn't go like, like super deep into it. It's just a small part in his book and it's an insurrection. Uh, this book here, which I recommend you guys picking up and reading. It's really a powerful book. Um, Pete's work is, is, is really, really solid on it. And, um, I think it would help us all. And and it's not impossible to read. Everybody's like, Oh, Pete's really hard to read. And sometimes, but this book, it seems to be really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Accessible. It seems to be pretty accessible. And I'm reading from a chapter seven at the, um, it's called, I believe in the insurrection. And, uh, I'm going to kind of jump around, jump up, jump up, and jump down. <laughs> um, so um, I'm going to start in this one area, but I, I like Pete's reflection on on resurrection, and I'm glad that my best friend has been able to help me see this. I mean, at the same time, Pete helped me understand being abandoned by God on the cross, and um, and for the past two years of my life, feeling completely abandoned, but also now feeling more connected with Christ than I've ever have because of that abandonment, even though it was just those moments on the cross. Um, So I'm going to read. If participation in the crucifixion involves being overtaken by the darkness, where all guiding flames are extinguished, then participation in the resurrection is the moment when we find the ability to affirm light and life in the very midst of the darkness and beneath the cold shadow of death. Pretty heavy stuff, right? Um, What I like about this idea of resurrection is it doesn't deny the loss. 
It doesn't deny the abandonment. Um, it doesn't deny the darkness. And I think that's one of the things I've always had a tough time with folks talking about the resurrection is in a way they want to just almost erase the crucifixion. Like he has victory over death, you know, and just been like, okay, so we're all victorious and we're going to live a victorious life and we're all going to be good moral people. Right. That's what, I mean, that's what I thought Christianity was about. It was like, Oh, he rose from the dead. Our sins have been forgiven, but not completely. So you might want to be really good just in case, you know, and I, I also think this is strange is that I, I saw um, uh, one of the bigger Calvinist preachers this week talk about Piper? John Piper. Yeah. Talk about how he thought, you know, coronavirus was a gift from God. He thinks every horrible thing is from God uh, to change our minds and, and to turn us towards God, which he always thinks that too, which is ironic because he's also Calvinist. So he thinks that we're all predestined for God. And so at the same time, like, well, no one's going to, I mean, then this was just like part of that robotic plan of, I have a hard time with Calvinism. I'm not going to lie. I mean, there's some parts of Calvinism I like, but the whole predestination robotic thing um, bothers me and, and I have a hard time with it, especially when they always think like, you know, we're like a little spider above a flame and God really is pissed off at us. Um, it, it, it seems quite crap to me, to be honest with you. Um, but anyway, I walked, watched the, this, this little Piper thing and, and what he had to say and um, completely disagreed with it. Um, because uh, <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Um, oh, yeah. Well, the idea of like, I know that they believe in atonement, you know, and it just makes me think of people who believe in atonement theory uh, should believe that it's all taken care of. It's all done. You know, they, they seem to be like, oh, Jesus' death died for our sins, but he's still sending judgment and wrath and all this stuff. And I'm like, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't it just it doesn't add up theologically or just just. Logically. logically, not even theologically, logically, it doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. You know, um, we could, you know, we could try to like complicate it and then make, make it complicated and have a really complicated theological discussion. But if we just want to strip it down, it doesn't make sense on that, that simplistic level. There you go. Um, so let's look at this, this idea of, of uh, what Pete says here is, um, so crucifixion involves being overtaken by the darkness. We're all, we're all the guided flames are extinguished. You know, there's nothing guiding us. It's gone. You know, ever, all hope is lost. And so he says, resurrection is the moment when we find the ability to affirm light and life in the very midst of the darkness and beneath the cold shadow of death. So the shadow of death is still there. It still dwells within us. The darkness is still there. But we are able to affirm life and a life and to live life well. And, and it is a struggle to live life well. It is a struggle to live life when you feel called to being an artist or you feel called to be a theologian or a philosopher or a musician or, or, or a pastor or, or, or different things like that. You know, you feel called to live a life worth living. And, and, and it seems like capitalism says, no, you've got to be in this job and you've got to work and you got to do this and you got to make money and you got to pay these bills. And then you've got to, you know, then just save up to have a nice house, but keep doing, you know what I mean? And you get to caught in this game 
and, and capitalism sometimes fights our dreams. It fights our, our hopes. It, it, it gives us false hopes or it puts security in just like the mundane things. And I just have never felt like called to that. I mean, I've just always wanted to live and live life well and help people think. Um, but that also requires sacrifice and suffering too. Both do. I mean, there's not one is not easier than the other. They both are struggles, but um, it often takes it's even harder to, to follow your dreams because I think there's so many people who allow their dreams to die and, and without knowing it, they crush your dreams because their dreams are dead. So they don't want you to follow yours because that makes them feel more of a failure. So they just kind of like just project onto you and go like, well, you know, you should really get your life together and you should really do these things. And, you know, you should really give up. And I mean, I had a lot of people do that over the past couple of years of my own life and I just couldn't do it. I just had to live my life. Um, and for me, if that's resurrection of living that life, even with the darkness, even with the doubters, even with the naysayers and is continued to move forward, then I can embrace that. You know, I can embrace that. I don't feel like I'm doing Pete's work any justice, but, um, we'll try here. Pete uh, says in this in, in here, says, this is not a way of life that we can argue for or someone better than an alternative. We cannot find some reasoned apologetic for why we should embrace life in this way. Resurrection is not something one argues for. That's probably why I can't argue for it. But it is the name we give to a mode of living. And... You know, so I see the example of my my buddy Pete, you know, who is a successful philosopher, and usually those two words don't go together. Um, there's probably three of them, you know, um, who aren't working at colleges. Um, you know, so he, you know, obviously, if you go into philosophy, you're not trying to come, become a rich person. But he's followed his passion and he's followed it and he's gone into theology and philosophy and he's taken it to the next level and lived life well. Um, he's the one person who was a consistent and continually telling me, continue to do what you do. I'm like, well, I don't know if I believe. I don't know where I'm at. I'm mentally ill. I'm going through struggles. Uh, I have so much doubt. And just continue to move forward. Just continue to move forward, Jay. Continue to do your work. And so – that encouragement kept me going and then realizing, okay, well then maybe this is resurrection is coming out of a moment where you've completely, I mean, it is lost God, lost everything, have scars, feel wounded and just continuing to live life despite itself, despite what others may say, um, you know, and move forward. It's tough. Um, I'm struggling with it, obviously, here. Um, goes on to say, resurrection neither negates the crucifixion nor moves beyond it. And see, that's, for me, my whole life, I grew up believing that and hearing that that's exactly what resurrection did, is that it was victory over death, you know, that the cross, you know, I mean, remember the... Um, Carmen had that thing. Oh, my... The yeah. champion. The champion, you yeah. know. And Jesus is down for the count, but he starts to, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, oh, what is happening? And then he's like, eight, 
seven, six. Why is he counting backwards? You know, and then he's like, Jesus rises up. He's like, the champion. It's like a 15 minute song. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Um, Check that out. I don't know if it's on Spotify, but I'm sure you can. And uh, I knew Carmen's actually was really nice to my family. So I don't, not trying to diss him. Um, when a lot of people weren't, um, but that song's pretty funny. And so I was always like, we've victory over death. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I had a crucifix, um, that I had gotten in Israel and it, Jesus is on the cross. And I remember people at my dad's church being like, our Jesus isn't on the cross anymore, brother. You know, that's why we wear an empty cross, you know? And I was like, Oh, great. Um, I just like the jewelry. Um, and I think that's maybe what Catholicism understands is, is they really do look at the death. They do keep Jesus on the cross. They do stay in that moment of suffering. Um, and I, for someone who suffers uh, from mental health issues and depression and things like that, I have to kind of keep that reality there. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense if it's just wishy-washy utopian society of we've won. I, I, I can't live in a utopian society. It just doesn't work for me. Um. Because resurrection neither negates crucifixion nor moves beyond it. There is a good reason why believers continue to wear the cross around their neck rather than dismiss it as something that lies far ever behind us. Now listen to this. This is where he ends this chapter, but I'm going to go back and read another part. But the one who has participated in in the crucifixion remains indebtedly marked by it. The resurrection is a mode of life that arises from the very from its very embrace. So the scars are really, really important. I think that was what was great about when we see doubting Thomas and, and Thomas is like, I want to put my hands in the holes in his wrists. I want to feel the hole in his side. I want to see the scars on his head. And you know and so I think what's important about that is that the scars are still there. You know, the reality of the horror is still there. Um, It's not gone. You know, Jesus doesn't get some magical, cool body where he's just like, look at me. I'm all together. And they're like this, you know, and I'm a unicorn Um, (laughs) sparkles. You know, it's it's still this reality of we lost. The government won. The Romans won. They crucified me. They killed me. Um, I was forsaken. I felt forsaken by God, but here I am. Um, and the reason I'm not going to try to give you a lot of answers to this is one, I don't think Pete's trying to give you a lot of answers. I think he's trying to cause us to think and think well. And that's what I want to do is try to cause us to think and think well and take a step back and see how we can move forward with it on our own. Um, but the scars stay. I mean, for me, I had a horrible year and I've been, I mean, a couple of years and I've been healing from that, but you know what? Those scars are still there. The pain is still there. Um, I can't let go of the past. The whole point of me talking about my dad earlier is because I still have those scars, you know, as a teenager sitting with your dad and seeing every, seeing your father lose everything, including his marriage. Um, I actually was the one who told my dad that my mother was leaving him in prison in a visiting room. Um, that kind of stuff sticks with you and it stays with you. And those scars are undeniable for me. And so when people go like, well, why is this liberal punk rock guy 
you know, calling me about his crazy conservative dad. Why is he defending him? Because the scars are still there. You know, because the, the cloud of darkness still hangs over my head. The realities of where I've been are still inside me. Um, and, 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 and aren't going anywhere. And matter of fact, they've molded me into the human being that I am. Am I a healthier human being now? Yes. Um, do I feel more comfortable with who I am? Yes. Um, was that horrific stuff to go through? Yes. Um, I don't want to ever go back. You know, someone's like, you can go back. I'd be like, nope, (laughs) no, thank you. I'm, I'm really happy being 44 years old and, uh, wearing too much man jewelry. Um, that's fine. I don't want to go back. You know, I want to live my life and live my life well and try to teach people from, from my own crucifixion experience. And it seems like it happened over and over again, either I watching my family go through it or me going through it. And we all go through this torture and this pain and we see it in our own way. And what happens is often society, I'm getting a little bit off here, but that's fine. Society tells us your pain is not valid because it doesn't line up with our political thoughts, our tribal identity, all these things, you know, so your pain isn't valid. Now we'll go on and grab a group of people and say, now their pain is valid and we don't say this and we make sure we say this to them and we don't act, treat them this way and we don't do this. But these people who have these individually strange pains over here and been through different things than we understand, you know, we can kind of kick them when they're down. Or if they don't agree with what we think, then we can call them names, but they can't call us names. Do you see that? Do you see the hypocrisy there? Um, and so then we just can't have these conversations at all because we can't sit down and, and agree to disagree well. Um, or we've become so sensitive that we don't know how to do it without wincing and wincing and wincing. So we can't have these conversations. Um, but for me, I want to keep people from going through what I went through. You know, And so when I see someone going like, I'm going to destroy this guy because of what they believe in, I go like, man, they've got family. They've got people they care about. Um you know, maybe there's another way that doesn't where they, everybody doesn't have to be completely devastated. Maybe we don't have to crucify this group. Um, you know, they might come out better for it, but maybe there's another way to do it. Maybe we can show our scars and 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 share our moments of darkness and that we still have to embrace and that it still carry with us. Maybe we can do that. Maybe that can change things. So I want to change things. I'm just not, I, I just don't want to sit with things. I don't want to accept things, how things are. And I want you guys to think about that. I'm not going to tell you, you have to do it. I just want you to think about it. And if you think that you want to do it, then I encourage you. It's going to be tough. There's going to be scars. There's going to be crucifixions. There's going to be stoning. There's going to be all sorts of that things. But, uh, but with grace, with love, with hope, you can make it through this. And that's why community is so important. I've always felt like community is really important, not just the church, but the community altogether. I think the church should always be a part of a community. I don't think the church should just be the community because then when the church loses and and goes crazy, then we don't have a community left. So I think build a great community around it and allow church to be a part of that community. So I'm going to jump back and and read some of what, what Pete Rollins here has written. Um, so I think it's important. Um, he says, in the cross, 
we witness both the destruction of religion and the sublimation of atheism. You hear that? In the cross, we witness both the destruction of religion and the sublimination of atheism. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus forsakes everything for God, the highest religious gesture there is. Jesus forsakes everything for God. But on the cross, we bear witness to Christ being forsaken by God, the atheistic moment. You know, the abandonment. He, he sacrifices everything for God, and then God is gone. Mother Teresa had this moment where she sacrificed everything, and then all of a sudden it felt like God was gone. And she didn't know if God was there anymore. She didn't know if she believed in God anymore. You know, it was like, oh, see, this shows that she wasn't perfect. And no one's perfect. But the fact is, is no, it showed that she, her heart was beyond just something of I'm going to serve the magic man in the sky or I'm going to get rewards in heaven. What she was doing was the kingdom of God. She was loving people if God was there or God wasn't there. I love the fact that God, Jesus feels forsaken by God, but at the last minute says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. You know, it's this moment of just saying, you know, who knows if he was just saying it for those standing around or if he was literally saying it to God, but he felt that God wasn't there. So who knows? But he was just felt the need for forgiveness, the need to give grace despite the absence of God. To me, that's really powerful. He goes in and he says, uh, then in the resurrection, we discover that God remains dwelling in our very midst through the embracing of life. That honestly, that might be the only place I can find God, maybe the ground of being or the embracing of life. God does not speak to me in an audible voice. You know, I have feelings and things like that, but I don't know if that's God or that's something I grew up with. Um, but remains dwelling in the very midst through the embracing of life. And so what I've learned in my own world is to embrace life with all of its suffering, with all of its despairs, with all of its contradictions. And that's how I'm able to still have a conversation with my dad about theology when we don't have the best father-son relationship. When I, we, there's no reason for us to agree theologically. I'm thinking, I mean, thank God for my kids because that keeps me there. Um, and, you know, and also thank God for the going through that hell together of, of watching my father fail and through those prison years. I mean, there's a bond that I'll share with that man until I'm in the grave um, because of the suffering of what it was like going through five years of prison, watching your mom even leave your dad, you know, watching, watching, um, watching all of his friends abandon him and going through that moment, you know, and seeing that, you know, seeing that happen, uh, experiencing that loss, which I can't put it into words because it was horrific. And as a teenager, I wasn't mentally prepared to deal with it ever and it made life made no sense because of when i was going through it this is where that radical doubt of the crucifixion is rendered sublime where a new understanding of god is born and a type of theistic christianity is glimpsed we may call this new opening a slash theism in so much as we witness the move from a traditional theism through atheism to something that unifies and transcends them. So this thing, he's like, this transcends 
both theism and atheism. I mean, that's pretty powerful. It's like it transcends both of those. It's something else. Um, a place where, as Bonhoeffer described, one takes full responsibility for one's existence as though God did not exist. And in fully doing so, lives fully before God. That's the jam. That's the drop mic. That's actually probably, he probably should have ended on that one. That's why I'm going back and rewriting him because that's where he should end it. <laughs> Boop. Um, so I'll rewrite this book for him. We'll do the Jay yeah. Baker edition. Take out the pronouns. Yeah. No pronouns and uh, move a few sentences around. The dyslexic version. But I'm going to read that again. As as he says here, Pete says here, quoting Bonhoeffer, describes as one takes full responsibility for one's existence, though God did not exist, and fully doing so to live fully before God. And that's all we can do, as live as though God doesn't exist and live fully before God. So I guess for me, that's why I love my enemies. That's why I practice grace. Because I want to live life well, and I want to live life to my best. Because I don't know if there's an afterlife or not. Um, and and I hope there is. So I just live in that tension. And that's what you're going to get today from the service is asking you guys to live in tension, and and live as though there is no tomorrow. You know, live as though there is no Beulah land or no heaven or, you know, no place like that. Um, appreciate people while they're with us, you know. Um, appreciate their life. Appreciate their complexities. And um, I tell you what, when you start having empathy for your enemies, you grow yourself because you start to have empathy for yourself. You know, for so long, uh, I hated myself. And often, sometimes... I let other people's opinions of me dictate how I feel about myself. Um, but that's not living my best life. That's not living resurrection. You know, for me is to remind myself is that their opinions of me don't make me who I am. Um, it, but it's, it's realizing that, that life, having that life, having gone through that crucifixion and, and seeing people in a new different ways has given me the ability to, uh, to live life well, to live life better, to to see my enemies in different light, to see myself in a different light, because often I am my enemy. There are things that I say to myself that I would never say to any of you. You know, there's things I, you know, how I judge myself, how I, I would never say to my worst enemies. And um, so through therapy, through theology, through philosophy, I have learned to give myself grace. And that has been one of the most powerful tools in my, my box, my toolbox is to be able to give myself grace. But when I'm able to receive that grace and accept that grace, what it's done is allowed me to want to give grace to other people who don't deserve it either, because I don't necessarily (laughs) deserve it. Um, But to be kind and loving to myself has given me the ability to be kind and loving to those who I disagree with. And uh, yeah, I'll speak up. Yeah, I'll say things. Yeah, I'll critique people. Um, I just critiqued Piper. Um, but um, but I'll also 
be the first to sit down and share a meal with them if they want to. Um, I remember when everybody was getting angry at people for praying for Trump, you know, all these evangelicals were coming and laying their hands on Trump. And I thought about it. I was like, well, if, like they called me and was like, would you come and pray for the president? I'm like, you know, I mean, what kind of person do you have to be to be like, nope, I'm not praying for that son of a bitch. I mean, that's like the mandate in the Bible. You know, I'm supposed to pray for my enemies, you know, like it doesn't matter if I pray for them in person or not. I would maybe say like, hey, I'll just pray from here, you know, <laughs> but if they're like, no, we're going to fly you out. He's got Taco Bell for you, you know, <laughs> full layout of your favorite fast foods and you got to pray for him. Okay. Why not? You know, why? Cause, you know, I guess the reason I wouldn't want to do it is because I knew that all my friends, my liberal friends and progressive friends and, and woke friends would all be really pissed off at me. So it would be more like me serving other human beings and be more worried about what you guys thought. That's how most pastors preach because we're worried about what you guys think. Um, than anything else. Otherwise, I mean, be like, you know, if I'm a real punk rocker, then I'll do what I want and I'll just, get on that plane and go pray for the dude and be like, Hey, you know, maybe putting kids in cages isn't a great idea. Yeah. Maybe I slipped that into the prayer, <laughs> a little passive aggressive prayer. I think we've all had those before. Help him realize what he's doing wrong. <laughs> Help him realize that kids don't belong in uh, cages, God. And uh, <laughs> not everything is huge, huge. Um, I don't know, but there you go. Um, because could you imagine if Martin Luther King was like, oh, no, I'm not going to go meet with that president. You know, oh, I'm not going to do that. You know, I mean, those are the guys who change things. You know, not that the fact that those folks who were necessarily going out there, pray, I think most of those people were really like, you know, we dig you, man. We think you're awesome. Um, so if you guys see me at the White House praying for the president, my theology hasn't changed. It's just I got asked. So there you go. Um, we're going to do some... Uh, because, yeah, praying for somebody doesn't mean you agree with them. Matter of fact, if you're praying for somebody, you, I mean, you probably just should disagree with them. Maybe that's why you should pray for them. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a big prayer, to be honest with you. I don't pray as much as I used to. I did have somebody reach out to me recently and ask me, hey, Jay, would you pray for me? And I was like, I haven't prayed in a while. And, and, uh, but I was like, sure. Yeah, why not? You know, um, can't hurt. You know, I'm going to live life as maybe God's not there. Um, but I'm going to have the hope that God is, I'm living before God. So if I can get a message, I mean, maybe it's just a sign of love and respect and grace really. Um, Cause if God is there, then I feel like my life is a prayer. Yeah. So yeah. Um, anybody got a rebuke or a Q and a, or want to go buy insurrection by Peter Rollins? You know, my, I did a sermon a couple of weeks ago on, uh, on the lack and uh, that was really influenced by Pete, but it was also influenced by Hegel and Tillich and people like that. But this one, I, I have a, I just, I feel like this should be sponsored by this because that's where it came from. Use promo code Baker at checkout. Yeah, use promo. <laughs> Revolution Church, uh, just type that into the donation. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, we had a lot of uh, feedback when you were talking about your dad. Okay. Um some stuff. I, there's some really good stuff in here. Start off. Uh, Cheryl just said Jay's always respectful when it comes to his dad. I love that about him. It shows beautiful character. And then JD 
Ray, I'm sorry, Ray JD said, yeah, and I'm sure I've made similar unjustified accusations against other guys like Jim Baker based on my biases. Hopefully Jay highlighting this will make me aware of this in the future. Yeah, I mean, it makes me aware of like, I mean, I had somebody, some people send me some stuff recently, some televangelist saying some really bizarre things and doing some bizarre things, you know. But it is weird going like, man, those guys are just so stuck in their own bubble that they're just not relevant to anyone anymore. And like, you like, you're able to empathize with them a little bit. Cause you're just like, Oh, yeah. it's sad. I wish they could just like take a vacation to my house for a couple of weeks. You know, we could put them into disguise and they could just kind of come back to reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, on the same kind of in the same, uh, discussion here, Greg says, well said, we're all evil in sin. I'll create a good in Christ to give advice without asking. May I give some advice and actually be rejected. <laughs> You can give advice. I mean, I'll either take it or reject it, just depending on if I think it's good advice or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's just saying people are more receptive. I'm not sure exactly what that's in, in reference to, actually. Okay. But then, uh, last one here, uh, people, and then I think we have some more coming in right now, but from earlier, people coming out of black versus white thinking bring that with them sometimes when they join other theologies or ways of thinking. So even progressive can be black and white thinkers. No, I think so. I think yeah. a lot of us who've come out of the conservative movement, the Assemblies of God, I was watching this Elvis documentary and it was talking about how he came out of the Assemblies of God, um, which I thought was interesting. But coming out of that, yeah, at the beginning, I just traded that mode of thinking and changed it to like the to, to my progressive left mode of thinking. So I was just like, well, now if you don't think like me, you're still wrong, but I'm just more loving towards the people who need to be loved. Yeah. And now I'm just against you conservatives. And then what I realized was like going like, oh, wait a second. I've got to love them too. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. you know, but yeah, we often just change this. What is it? We change the... It's the, I mean, it's an addiction of certainty for sure. Yeah. We just change one certainty for another. Yeah. I actually... And we keep our legalism. You know, that's the thing is we, what we really need to do is get rid of legalism. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're like, oh, I was a legalistic Christian. Well, now I'm a legalistic liberal or I'm a legalistic yeah. atheist or I'm a legalistic fundamentalist or I'm a legalistic, you know, Buddhist. Or, you know what I mean? What, what we really need to do is clean the, some areas in our life like the legalism and get that out, you know, before I think we make a decision on what we're going to believe, you know. Uh, okay. Selena says atheism is normal. Can we normalize it? Even Jesus went through it. Atheism is normal. When exploring faith and beliefs, atheism is also not a stagnant place to be. Many atheists explore their beliefs on their own terms. I agree with that. I, there's a lot of atheists who come to revolution and mm-hmm. listen to revolution. And yeah. I'm like, awesome. You know, I, I'm probably an atheist part of the time anyway. So mm-hmm. be honest with you. Yeah. I think it's a good point about it not being stagnant. No, it's. I don't think it's yeah. a stagnant. I thing. think, you know, it, it's kind of a buzz phrase right now, but I think really there's a lot more fluidity in things than we a lot of times like to like to think. We like to put things in a box yeah. and say, oh, you know, I, I like this, I dislike that, I, I lean this way politically, I don't lean that way, you know. Um, but what makes sense to you in one moment is, is going to change. From yeah. Life. That's gross. That's and- and if I came off coming to think making atheism sound like it was stagnant or something, that wasn't from that. I wasn't trying to do that um, because I think I would have to have to be saying that theism is stagnant, stagnant, stagnant too. Mm-hmm. I think I would have, you know, totally. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm just saying there might be some hybrid for sure. For sure. And, uh, you know, 
uh, Derrida even says that the truest of believers has gone through atheism and fully explored and fully embraced atheism because you can't call yourself a believer without having experienced the lack of belief. Yeah. You have to have that contrast to be able to even recognize one. You have to know its absence. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, I think all this stuff is way beyond what you believe or don't believe. Yeah, to be totally. honest with you. And even, I mean, even defining belief is yeah. like, does it make sense to you right now? Yeah. Well then you believe it. Or, you know, do you, do you want to think that there's a man in the sky that loves you? Yes. Well then, you know, but have you seen him? No. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to put your finger on. About the certainty thing, though, that we kind of got into earlier, I found this quote from Adam Phillips, uh, his book, um, Missing Out, that I'm reading right now. He says, uh, it's him uh, concerning self-doubt. He says, we can so little tolerate not knowing what we want, not knowing whether it is available, and not having it, that we fabricate certainties to fill the void. Yeah. So then I I think that I, I thought of that just because of the, like, you go from one certainty to the other. And it doesn't really matter what the certainty is or where it falls, you know, but as long as it's a certainty you can cling to, then I don't know if it, if it's, if it's satiating something, maybe. I even think it's like, you know, if you think about like conspiracy theories as well, sometimes we like to create conspiracy theories and do those because the conspiracy even being more radical and crazy makes there feel like there's some sort of certainty and purpose in the world. Like, Oh, this person did this and this, and there's some control. Yeah. You know, the idea that someone just acted alone, Uh you kind of get, makes you feel like, Uh like you're like things are out of control, you know? And, um, so sometimes the truth is scarier than the conspiracy. Totally. Yeah. And even if the, the little tidbits that are being assembled into this big picture conspiracy, even if those events are true, yeah, putting it into a convenient story or you know uh, making it into um, an easily digestible like oh this was the motive here or this is the bad guy yeah this is the good guy you know they were this is the evil person this was the righteous person even even if the facts are true assuming that kind of dichotomy is I think limiting at the very least extremely not, limiting not destructive and, and unhealthy. Hard to do in a political system that provides you with that. What is there more questions or comments? Uh, let's see. I think there's because I feel like there's a lot coming in right now. Yeah, there's a lot coming in. Lots of uh, people just agreeing. Uh, amens, if you will. Amen. But, uh, but then, <laughs> oh, atheism is not stagnant for sure. This is Diane. If we're all honest, we have moments or years of it. Stephen says it is a balance. Thomas says people from all perspectives get trapped in the religion of rationalism. Yes. That's good. I like that a lot. I am here an atheist and felt 100% included in this message. That's nice to hear. Love that. Yeah. Let's see. I take atheism as being the crossroads from spiritual growth, says Cheryl. Oh, this is a nice one. Diane comes back here again and says, this was mind blowing. I hope you're well, Jay Baker. Love to you. You were doing okay the last time I ran to you at Starbucks. Oh, nice. Um, nice. And then just a couple more. I miss Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, remember today's. <laughs> I miss my corporate coffee. Isn't that horrible? I'm like, I'm an anarchist who loves Trenta <laughs> Black Eyes teas. It's ironic. Why? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a total irony. Yeah, it's it's a art piece. Zoe says, this message 100% included me as an atheist. It did not feel for a moment like you communicated it as an abnormal state. Oh, Selena, he's saying that Selena was affirming you when she was talking about oh. it being not being stagnant. Oh, cool. Oh, correct. That was not... Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah. 
lots of yeah, that, people saying how affirming your message was and appreciating the the message. Well, thanks everybody. Um, oh, I have an announcement. I'm glad you feel comfortable. We're gonna have an announcement in a second. Oh, uh, someone just said, "Ugh, I miss." Times at Pete's Candy Store when Revolution would meet there. Oh, Me too. New York, shout out there. I miss New York. That was a great time. Uh, so we're. I'm trying to start up uh, Q and A with Jay again. Oh yes. Yeah. So I Caleb's that, trying to start up Q and A with Jay, but I think you can hear him. So I'll stop talking. <laughs> um, I uh, set up the email questions for Revolution at gmail If it's a question about a specific message or in response to a message, please just say either the date that it came out as a podcast or the date that it came out as a live stream, just reference what you're talking about. Okay. It's out of context. Otherwise you won't know how to answer the question. Okay. And, and then, uh, but if it's just something, just a general question, you can send them there as well. Uh, if it's a, a specific question, we'll try to get those Q and A's. We'll be doing these as videos. We'll try to get this out like a week later okay. or so. We're, we'll find a rhythm with this as we get it going. We're going to do a Q&A with Jay, and I'm going to put it up on the Facebook, and we're going to put the little rules and regulations above the top so you guys know there you go, yeah. what to do. Suggestions. No rules here. <laughs> we're unorganized religion, remember. Disorganized religion since 1994. Um, yeah. So, well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, appreciate it. Listen, um, as always, we're trying to do this thing. If you want to support us, you can go to revolutionchurch.com and do that. Um, we definitely want to hire Caleb. I do want to say thanks to you. Some of you have really actually been giving um, lately, and that's been really nice because I know it's really a tough time to do that. So um, I really, really, really do appreciate that. Um, that's, I mean, that's way beyond the call of duty. So thanks for making this this making this church possible because I know it's just weird that we're all online, but we've always been online and hopefully always will be. So love you guys so much. Have a great Sunday and um, we'll, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you to make your 100% tax deductible donation today. Please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. If you like that, you might enjoy the Loosen the Bible Belt podcast with Jay Baker and me, Kristen Becker. And I think what we're trying to do with this podcast is that middle ground of where we can all have tough conversations and maybe get your feelings hurt a little bit here and there, but create an environment where it's a safe to disagree. You know, I mean, uh, talking about the Confederate flag, I remember when I was doing revolution in Atlanta, where Kristen is now, you know, I would sit down with the young punk kids and be like, hey, let me tell you why the Confederate flag that's that patch on your jacket, why it's offensive. You know, let's look at the history of what's there and explain it to them and have them conversations with them, you know, rather than going like, do you know that's a racist patch? You know, I'm like, let me tell you what, what it means to somebody who doesn't look like you. And it'd be funny to watch Steve take the patch off, you know, and go like, oh, I didn't get it, you know, but it was because I was safe. I was their friend and we were able to have a conversation about it. And I think if we're going to change the world, it's not going to be through being pissed off. That was a post-Christian podcast.